Let me assert my firm belief that the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. Nameless, unreasoning, unjustified terror which paralyzes needed efforts to convert retreat into advance. That moment of democracy inspiration was Franklin Delano Roosevelt's first inaugural address. Welcome to 10 Minutes on Democracy. I'm Jason Franklin, and today is Tuesday, April 20th. Moving from 1933 up to today, we'll look at some of the key issues One for Democracy is keeping its eye on this week. Right now, I'm looking at four key issues. The latest developments around COVID and voting rights, a GOP wave of anti-trans legislation around the country, some of the balancing act that the Biden administration is doing on some of the major policy issues of our day, and the latest developments around police violence and gun violence, and how we as a society are going to respond. In terms of COVID, yesterday we got some exciting news on the domestic front. Over half of U.S. adults have now received at least one COVID vaccine shot. Unfortunately, globally, the pandemic continues to roll out in grossly uneven ways. New Delhi was put under a week-long lockdown Monday night as an explosive surge of coronavirus cases pushed their capital's health system to the brink, and India's virus cases topped 15 million. And yet at the same time, New Zealand and Australia announced a travel bubble, allowing travel between their countries without quarantine. Across the globe, we've got increasing conversation about COVID patents and unequal distribution of vaccines. The U.S. has bought more doses than its entire population needs, while other countries are announcing vaccine plans that would only vaccinate 10 or 15 percent of their population at best. Questions of COVID diplomacy and inequality are going to be a major next step in our global fight and our domestic fight against this pandemic. On the voting rights front, yesterday Montana's Republican governor signed two voter suppression bills into law, although a lawsuit has already been filed asserting that they violate the Montana Constitution. These two bills were passed by the GOP in, I think, a clear response to historic young voter turnout for 40% increase from 2016. Just to take a moment on these, Senate Bill 169 limits the use of student ID cards as a form of voter ID, even though Montana has allowed students to use their college or university ID to vote for 20 years. At the same time, the bill added a new acceptable form of ID, a concealed carry permit. The other bill, House Bill 176, eliminated Montana's 15-year tradition of same-day voter registration which has been particularly relied on by students who frequently move and native communities. Montana is the third state to pass a major voter suppression bill this year following Iowa and Georgia. And voter suppression bills are moving forward in more than a dozen states, Arizona, Florida, New Hampshire, Texas, Michigan, and more. You know, this points again to why so many people are doing everything they can to pass the For the People Act, House Bill Number 1. While some people have questioned if the For the People Act should be broken apart into component bills, it seems increasingly clear that the push is going to pass it in full. If you pull apart the For the People Act, you could lose the coalition of groups and constituencies that are supporting it. You could lose the handful of votes needed to pass any new bills in the House. And really, the only way to protect against this wave of state-level voter suppression is to pass a Federal Voter Protection Act. This is going to stay on our radar for weeks on end until it gets passed. 
Another wave of state-level laws that are sweeping the country are anti-trans legislation. In addition to unsubstantiated claims of voter fraud, the GOP is using attacks on the trans community as another policy wedge. 33 states had introduced over 100 bills to curb the rights of transgender people across the United States. Back on April 6th, Arkansas became the first state to allow providing gender-affirming treatment to minors, and yesterday, the Florida State House passed a particularly egregious bill that would ban trans girls from competing on women's sports teams and could allow schools to require biological proof of their sex, a genital exam, in order to compete. According to data from the Human Rights Campaign, there is more anti-trans legislation being introduced so far this year than any year since they've been tracking this type of legislation more than 15 years in a row. At the national level, we're also seeing, as there's not a controversy every moment from the Biden administration like we saw from Trump, instead you're seeing a much more typical dance of how does an administration balance competing policy demands. Some of the developments this week, Raul Castro announced that he's going to be stepping down from leading Cuba. It'll be the first time there's not a Castro leading the Cuban political leadership since 1959. How will that play out with Cuban Americans, particularly in Florida? What will that mean for the dynamics of our politics in relationship to Cuba remains to be seen. We also saw the announcement of a full withdrawal from Afghanistan and questions from conservative hawks around whether that's going to leave American interests at risk Will it allow the Taliban to resurge, or is it actually the final end of this unrelenting, quote, war in Afghanistan? We've also seen the Biden administration trying to balance dynamics around climate. Over the weekend, the U.S. and China agreed to work together to curb the effects of climate change. And on Thursday, Biden will be convening a virtual summit of 40 world leaders and faces a really challenging task, how to put forward a goal to reduce global greenhouse gas emissions when he doesn't have the Congress behind him to pass those same requirements. You know, the start of that summit is going to be coinciding with Earth Day. It's ahead of major UN meetings on the climate crisis that are going to be happening later this year in Glasgow, Scotland. And it's really a test of how much credibility has the United States lost on the global stage because Trump pulled out of the Paris Accords. We've seen Biden take some important steps already, you know, pledging to make the energy sector emissions neutral by 2035 and pausing new oil drilling on federal lands and offshore. But a lot more work is needed to be able to address the climate crisis. And we're really seeing that some of the first steps and some of the first kind of tests of American credibility in this new administration right now. Also seeing push from the Biden administration on immigration and a balancing act. So last week, the Biden administration announced that they were going to leave in place Trump's cap on 15,000 refugees per year coming in. This was a shock because Biden had actually campaigned to raise the cap to 125,000 people, from 15 to 125,000. Immediate pushback. And later, the exact same day, the Biden administration reversed course and said it would have an updated number by May 15th. You can see the progressive and the moderate wings of the Democratic Party jockeying for position here. Also yesterday, ICE and the Customs and Border Protection leadership announced that they were going to stop using terms like alien and assimilation when referring to immigrants and instead use terms like non-citizen, migrant, or undocumented individual. Part of the 
bigger push to kind of break away from Trump's stance on immigration and the fact that language matters and it shapes how we understand the world we are living in. And last but not least, we're all awaiting the results of the trial of Derek Chauvin for the murder of George Floyd. You know, Minneapolis is on lockdown. The country is looking at, will this be a moment of reconciling and accountability or another pass? Since the killing of George Floyd last May, there have been more than 150 bills introduced and passed around the country to reform and change the way that policing is undertaken. But many activists say there's a lot more to go. And some of those bills have been to boost police protection rather than to hold them accountable. Similarly, as we grapple with the dynamics of mass shootings, you know, we all can think back just a couple weeks ago to the shootings in Atlanta, but we may forget that there have been 50 other mass shootings since then. The dynamics of gun violence have not gone away, and particularly as we emerge from COVID and are back interacting with other people, what happens around police violence and what happens about gun violence and how do we control the dynamics of violence in our country will be increasingly pressing and focused for all of us. So those are some of the issues we're keeping our eyes on today. You know, developments around COVID and voting rights, the use of anti-trans legislation as a new wedge issue, the dynamics for the Biden administration to balance policy demands, whether it's in foreign policy or climate or immigration, and the questions facing us around gun violence and police violence as we see the trial in Minneapolis come to a close and the prospect of more shootings await us. Challenges abound, but we have to keep working. I'm Jason Franklin. It's April 20th, and thank you for joining us for 10 Minutes on Democracy. <laughs>